begun! I, I can't focus unless the gun is on the table. Nothing is normal or natural or everything is game. I'm gonna start a collection of puddings and coupons that can be redeemed for freaking fire miles. We have to get out of this building. They made soup out of my research department. See, this is the, the scene of the movie where you help me out. Far out, man. Hello and welcome to <laughs> West versus Paul versus Paul versus Predator, the only podcast that I'm aware of about Paul Thomas Anderson, Paul W.S. Anderson, and Wes Anderson. My name is Eric Anderson. And my name is Jeremy Pinchon Anderson. Pinchon. Pinchon, baby. You ever read any Pinchon over there, Jeremy? No. In fact, as I was uh, preparing for this episode... I decided that I was going to lean on you pretty heavily for the pinch-on, for the whole pinch-on part of this episode. As the listener is probably aware, we're, we're covering Inherent Vice, the 2014 Paul Thomas Anderson film based on the novel by uh, Thomas Pinchon. And Eric, you know, maybe not immediately, because I'm sure we got to plug our Patreon, but I, wa- I want you to kind of sell me a little bit on Pinchon today. I- I'm not really sure what to make of this guy. Who is he? What is he? Why should I care? <laughs> you know, Jeremy, call me Bill Withers because you can go ahead and lean on me for the uh, pinch on <laughs> uh, the pin- the the rap on pinch on. You know, uh, but first, let's do uh, the Patreon plug. It's patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. It's a great time over there. You know, we uh, what do we do? We're doing uh, an episode on the. We're going back to David Lynch, Jeremy, and we're doing an episode on David Lynch's commercials. Uh, I was actually, I was surprised that people really responded to the Wes Anderson commercials. So I think, uh, maybe we'll have to consider doing some more like supplemental material for these directors in these next, in the coming months, um, while that we're still talking great. about it. Someone recommended, great. uh, someone recommended that we do the Heim PTA music videos. And of, of course we'll do the Heim videos. I, uh... You know, I was trying to think of how we were going to do that because I would like to do the Radiohead ones as well. I'm wondering if we, if we do Heim and Radiohead together, if we if if we do separate episodes, who knows, Jeremy? But we also do uh, various movie requests over there. You can you can sign up for a tier to force us to do an episode on any any movie. Uh, you can listen to a whole backlog of stuff, Jeremy. We've been doing this for like a year and a half or something at this point. Almost an episode a week. So you got a lot of stuff over there. So, Jeremy, diving into, um, what's it called? Inherent Vice, the movie that we're talking about. Uh, I guess, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit, because I did read Inherent Vice for this. Uh, mm-hmm. I read it over the summer. Great summer read, by the way. If you're going to read Inherent Vice... Uh, I was literally like sitting on a beach during parts of reading this novel, and it was uh, wow. It's a great, it's a great novel for that. But Jeremy, what what's your history with the movie Inherent Vice? I saw the film in theaters. Absolutely, you know, was miffed by it. I think that's that's pretty par for the course with Inherent Vice. Most people who watch this movie are pretty dumbfounded with what they're looking at. Yeah. And do not really understand it by the end. I I had to watch it twice to even understand the the basic plot of the film. And now having watched it three times, 
I think I'm in a, pos- a position now where I I feel like I can I have kind of a a vague idea of how I feel about the film, but still no idea about what the film ultimately means, what anything really represents, or or what, really what the hell Pinchon's talking about in this in this movie. Uh, like yeah. uh, I'll 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 um I guess I'll concede to what Edgar Wright says about the film in which he calls the film inherent twice based on huh. how complicated it is. You have to watch it <laughs> twice. <laughs> Great. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what yeah, about this, you? This was a movie that I was very excited for. You know, I just like loved the master and was so excited you know, I was in I was in college. I had uh, I was working at the library, so I watched every PTA movie again leading up to the release. I did not see it in theaters because I was living in a small town. Um, so I remember renting this movie on iTunes or something like that, and uh, I just thought I my expectations were so high because PTA at this point had done you know Punch Drunk. Uh, the oil one. Uh, uh, there will be blood and uh, 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 the master. Mm. So you got to imagine this next movie is going to be just a hit, and uh, <laughs> it's like a early seventies noir. Joaquin Phoenix. I mean, I had not read Pinchon at that point, but Pinchon had been recommended to me, so I knew I would be into it. And I don't, to be honest with you, I don't think I finished the movie. Oh um, wow! Did you see it in theaters? Or no? No, no. I, I, I had to rent it because I did. I was not anywhere near a uh, theater that was playing it because I was I was in a small town in Wisconsin. But you know, I, I at a certain point I just gave up on it because I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know that I cared that much about it and about mm-hmm. what was going on anyway. And I was kind of, to be honest, I was kind of like, I think I need to read the book to what to really do this movie justice which i i I don't think that any movie from a book should require that necessarily (laughs) and i don't know that this movie does require that i think it really helps a lot um but i was like you know what i'm gonna read inherent vice and i'll watch it again and maybe i'll love it and I didn't get around to that for about six years, and now I'm doing it for this podcast. Uh, so this time around, I did like it. Here's the thing about Inherent Vice. I haven't read any other Pinchon before. Um, I'm sure you've his writing has been described to you as sort of like complicated. Right. Is that sort of the sense you get from... Pinchon. Yeah, I think that I kind of just uh, I'm gonna use another writer as an example, but like Hunter S. Thompson is sort of who I think of when I think of Thomas Pinchon, and I might be way off. So I'll again, I'll I'll I want to hear more what you have to say, but I I feel like you know he's known as like one of these drug guys from back in the '60s or something, and he's like you know, his writing is very confusing and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and steeped in, in drug culture and, and, and the parlance of the time and kind of like, he's got that cool vibe about him, but maybe a little lost to time. Like there's a lot of Vietnam stuff going on in both their writings too, I feel like. So 
I don't know. Enlighten me here, but I, I kind of feel like this movie kind of wants to be like a Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas movie or The Big Lebowski. It's it's sort of trying to be like a a kind of a drug stoner movie that gets really convoluted and complicated with cr- yeah. involving crime, and then the main characters sort of just end up where they started, <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. What do you think? <clears throat> you know, so I, I'm very, I, I definitely am going to read more Pinchon when I get around to it. Um, but, but based, but my perception of my experience reading this novel is, and this is something that I just didn't get with, when you watch a PTA movie, you're like paying attention to every detail and, and you're really kind of trying to remember things and really locking in. And uh, when I was reading Inherent Vice, it's a book that is uh, Pinchon in, in this novel. It's very dialogue heavy. He writes almost like it almost feels sometimes like he's making fun of uh, like Los Angeles or at least um, this era of LA. Um, there's definitely a lot of, satirizing or goofing on like post Manson paranoia mm. of the time. And he like, it, he, the, it's, it's really funny. And the thing that kept me going back to reading it was not the like Mickey Wolfman story. I, I never cared about the Mickey Wolfman story. Mm. Well, while I was reading this, I understood what was happening um, because he just, it's a book and he like describes things more thoroughly. And, um, but my whole experience with that book was, I just want to like, I like this Sportillo character wandering around into these like weird, like caverns of early seventies, like LA Southern California and like watching, like reading about him interacting with all these weirdos. Um, this is a really, it's a really funny book. It's, it's very funny. And while I was reading it, I was thinking like this could be, and this is probably, this is honestly what I would kind of prefer is this to be made into a movie that's a comedy, but like in the tone of a big Lebowski where it is funny. Like it is, there's parts of big Lebowski that are very funny. Um, and there's parts of, inherent vice the novel that are really funny but the big lebowski does have at least like this sort of suspenseful story um kind of almost in the backdrop of the comedy and and i kind of wish that that's what this movie is it feels like to me uh pta was going like the other route you can go which is like more of a sort of like hippie noir kind of thing. Um, and it, I, I just feel like this movie is, is like too serious <laughs> compared to the spirit of the novel. Mm. But that's my impression of it. That being said, I do really like this movie. Like, especially knowing what's going on, I really like it. And I, watching the movie, knowing that I don't really care about the story... Um, kind of helped. It kind of like made me like when I was watching it, I was like, okay, I don't actually have to put 
as much emotional energy or intellectual energy into this one. Mm. But nobody who has not read the book would know that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, so kind of going back to what I said is I, it really helps to read the book for this one. And I also don't blame anyone for not reading the book before seeing this. Um, my other, my other thing, big thing I just wanted to say, and you know, I do think he's a really just very good actor, like incredible actor. I don't think Joaquin Phoenix has ever made me laugh. (laughs) And I think that Sportello requires, even if you're going with this like sort of hippie noir tone, there's still moments in this movie where I'm like, okay, that's played for a laugh in the novel or that's clearly supposed to be funny, but it just doesn't work for me with Joaquin Phoenix. I I wish that Paul Thomas Anderson had done like what he did with Punch Drunk where he casts a comedic actor yeah. to, to get out of their comfort zone and, and do something more dramatic, but they're just naturally funny, so it is like funny. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, man, you know who would have been great as the main character in this is Owen Wilson, who's in this movie. Yes. Yes. That's what, it, you know what? That was the, pri- I was thinking, I, I, I was trying to think of who I would cast in this, and I couldn't come up with someone, but Owen Wilson is a great call. Um, yeah, he's, but he, yeah. He, he like wants, he's in this movie already, and it's like he's, he's very underutilized. Like, I think most of the cast is underutilized, to be honest. Um, except for really Joaquin and Josh Brolin, they're the two, they're like, they're given so much screen time. Uh, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, there's this, this movie has an all-star cast, including a reunion with Reese Witherspoon and Joaquin Phoenix from Walk the Line, a film where they were both nominated for, for, you know, best actor and Reese Witherspoon won. I agree with you. I don't think, I don't think Joaquin Phoenix is the right he's not the right kind of charming for this role no. to pull it off. Um, but yeah, no, I mean to, to your other points too, like I don't think it, it's weird. This movie spends a lot of time on plot, but I also think the movie doesn't care about the plot. It's weird. It's yeah. like, I don't think the yeah. movie gives a shit, but also they talk about it for like, they like nonstop. The whole movie is like nonstop more, more quote unquote plot twists that you can't even really tell if they're twists or not. Cause you can't even really remember as you're watching it. Like what is this movie about? Like what's the plot? What is this twist about? Like what did it, where did it come from? Um, I don't, I don't hate this movie at all. I don't, I don't even really dislike this movie, but I think you're totally right. This movie is tonally just not what I want from this kind of thing. Like maybe other people love it, but I, I want a Coen Brothers, Big Lebowski. The Big Lebowski did it right. That that's the mm-hmm. best example of these kinds of movie of this kind of movie where it's like, it's funny. It's about smoking weed and doing drugs in a in a bygone time, uh, under the backdrop of a different political world. Uh, where the main character is accidentally wrapped up into a plot that's way over his head. Um, but at the end of the day, the Big Lebowski just does it. It's just funnier. It's more compelling. The characters are just more. They're just better. They're more rewarding in yeah. a lot of ways. I, 
I, I, I bet you that Big Lebowski is in some ways based on the writings of Pinchon. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think right. I would I I would venture to guess that a lot of Pinchon has been in, has been inspired a lot of different things that we like. Um, and I love Paul Thomas Anderson. I just, I just wonder I wonder if Paul Thomas Anderson is even though interested or capable of making that kind of comedy, though at this point you know what i mean like this movie feels a lot like the master in a lot of ways like the way it's shot the way it looks uh the Mm -hmm. rhythm of a lot of the scenes the way that they hang on close-ups of characters for way too long the way that the way that the camera moves even like it's just it's obsessed with beauty and color in a way that i just don't think it puts me in the mood to laugh you know (laughs) Yeah, I'm very I'm very pensive, and when I'm watching a PTA film, the last few anyway, since there'll be blood, I think uh, it's followed this trend of, you know, being very serious. Even though this kind of wants to be a comedy, it still to me feels very serious. But yeah, I I mean yeah I I I you know I encourage people to read I encourage uh, people to read the novel if they're if they're curious to to get into yeah, Pinchon. Yeah, I mean, it, I'm it is, curious. It's funny. I mean, like, the back and forth between Sportello and Bigfoot mm-hmm. is, like, very funny. Mm-hmm. And in this, I also don't think Brolin's good as Bigfoot because, I mean, it's he's just different in in, in, in Bigfoot. I don't know. It, it's almost like he, ca- like, he, he casts, like, a big name because it's, like, a big name. Um, I don't know. Uh, do you think? I, I do, do you think uh, uh, Michael Shannon or Jim Carrey would have been a better cast for Bigfoot? Because <laughs> not Jim Carrey. Apparently, they were on the table. Apparently, <laughs> not Jim Carrey. Brolin's got like the look for it. He's got mm-hmm. the look, mm-hmm. but like, just needs to be like a meathead kind of like cop guy. Yeah, but I don't know. Maybe like more funny angry you know like uh-huh. brolin just gets angry angry but it's not funny um yeah. but anyway uh jeremy let's dive into some of the imdb trivia shall we yes all right so let's see um oh who did i just read uh i just read someone was it robert downey yes robert Mm -hmm. downey jr was reportedly interested in the role of sportello and was making plans to start shooting in the fall of 2011 since he had dropped out of uh oz the great and powerful uh yeah downey jr would have been a Pretty bad, pretty bad casting for this. I think. <laughs> I don't, right? do, you, do you really think so? I don't know. I, I, I'd, at this point, uh, after yeah. watching this movie three times, I'd be interested in seeing just about anyone try to play. I the guess role. I'd be curious. <laughs> but... Like, he, like, even uh, I, I don't know. Put, put anybody in there that's not walking. Put Adam Sandler in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know who I'd like to see is who's the guy that's always in the Happy Madison uh-huh. movies <laughs> yeah. using grandma, Grandma's yeah, boy as like guy. the stoner guy. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. He'd be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. According to writer and director PTA, Joaquin Phoenix and Reese Witherspoon have their own language and shorthand with each other, while their natural rapport helped to show the chemistry 
between their characters. This led to Anderson having to constantly remind them to stop chatting so that they could film. I don't even get this. Like how? I, I think it just means they hang out a lot. No, I get that part, but like, how do you even do that with a guy like Joaquin Phoenix? Like, he just seems like he'd be so yeah. so hard to chill with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> um, but also, Reese Witherspoon seems like the type who will just like strike up strike up a convo with anyone. You know what right. I mean? Yeah, she seems cool, or at yeah. least more fun. Uh, first, th- uh, this film is the first adaptation of any Pinchon novels to be produced for the screen. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. apparently the script had the blessing of Thomas Pinchon. Is he like a good, I mean, you like, do you like this book? He's, he's a celebrated writer. What is he? Is he like, he's like a drug guy, right? Who's writing about the seventies. I know pretty much nothing about his life, no, uh, no. so I don't know. But I assume from reading this that he probably has done drugs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, celebrate the fi- premiere of the film. Alamo Drafthouse in Denver organized a party bus tour where attendees were encouraged to smoke as much marijuana as they saw fit. PTA was present on the bus, but amiably declined to partake in the festivities. He seems like he smokes a lot of pot. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why he declined. Maybe just to try to keep his wits about him. But if you're going to hop on the party bus, PTA, you better be down to party. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, Anderson reportedly went about adapting the book by typing it up word for word, then proceeding from there. So... <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing I want to say about this is um, I wish that he had tinkered with the plot to like at least like because the story in the novel is is very it meanders and it's just kind of all over the place and it's not really like structured. I kind of wish he had like structured the story in a more conventional like filmy film storytelling way because it did. I did notice that. He didn't really change a lot of stuff story-wise, and he didn't mess around with the placement of stuff. He just kind of cut things out and made things shorter, mm-hmm. which I think, I don't know, maybe, uh, like I said, like for a comedy or something, that's fine, I think, but uh, I don't know. I, th- I, I do think that this is like a story that could be suspenseful, I guess, if it was I don't know, maybe shifted, things were shifted around or something. I don't know, but... Uh, Jeremy, I don't know. There's not too much exciting trivia for this one. I got, uh, I got, I got two. One thing I thought was interesting: this film, um, with this film, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson has depicted every decade of the 20th century except for the 30s, which is uh, pretty cool, I think. Every decade of the 20th century except except for the the 30s. There'll be blood covered in the 1890s through the 1920s. The Master oh, right. covered the 1940s and 50s. Uh, this covers the 60s, 70s. Boogie Nights uh, covers the 70s and 80s. Hard Eight and Magnolia are the 90s. And Punch Drunk Love covers the uh, you know the first decade of the 21st century. Yeah, we got you know what we got to get uh, a Great Depression movie yeah. from <laughs> yeah uh, exactly Paul Thomas yeah. Anderson exactly yeah. Uh, the other thing I'll say about this movie too is. 
uh, you know, this is another movie that PTA comes in way, you know, under box office per budget. You know, his $20 million budget comes in $14 million box office. This movie, I remember there being like marketing for the movie that got me really pumped for the movie, but the marketing is way wrong. Like, I don't know if you've ever watched the trailer for Inherent Vice, but it makes the movie look like it's going to be a kind of violent gunplay filled romp um, in the style of like something Tarantino might do. And uh, it's got like an exciting, like some exciting licensed music in the trailer and it makes it just feel very stylized and super noir. And and also, I would say the trailer makes the film look way funnier than it's going to be. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know what that means. But this is I this is kind of a gripe I have with movie trailers. I, I don't. I wonder if PTA made the trailer himself. I don't. I, I bet he didn't because if he did, I don't think he would have made something that looked and felt so different than what the movie ended up being. And I kind of want to see that movie. So if you get a chance to watch the trailer for, for Inherent Vice, um, you know, let us know in the comments what you think <laughs> as compared to what what we actually get on the screen. Because it's it made me feel... It made me feel like, oh, man, this is going to be awesome. And then when I saw it, I was like, oh, this is just kind of boring. <laughs> like, not... Yeah. Uh yeah, kind of like the movie. Um, I don't know if you ever saw the movie uh, Burn After Reading, which is another Coen Brothers movie. But that's yes. another film that has like this coolest trailer I've ever seen. And then when you watch the movie, it's like, oh, this is not quite what I thought it was gonna be. Yeah, I had not seen the trailer for that one, and I did. I did remember liking it. So I, 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 I guess. You're probably right. The trailer, I do, I really dislike that when trailers like give you a false sense of the tone of a movie. Yeah. It's like such a big thing. I know exactly. Yeah, a trailer really needs to hit certain certain key factors, like that make you you know feel like the There Will Be Blood trailer is a great example of a trailer that like it totally. Is it's exactly showing you the vibe of the film while at the same time building up so much mystery about it. So anyway, let's get into the plot. All right, so here we go. In 1963, Dick Cheney works as a lineman in <laughs> Wyoming after his alcoholism led him... Oh, Vice, I thought we were doing... <laughs> I thought we were doing Vice. Okay. Well, now, because of that bit, I don't have the inherent vice plot pulled up. Okay, here we go. <laughs> the year is 1970. Shasta Faye Hepworth visits the beach house of her ex-boyfriend, Larry Doc Sportello, a private investigator and hippie in Gordita Beach, uh, Los Angeles County. Uh, Gordita Beach. I don't know where that is, but uh, that's in uh, the great town of Taco Bell. Uh, yeah, Gordita that's Beach. Like, that's, <laughs> sounds like heaven to me, yeah. to be honest with mm-hmm. you. Uh, she tells him about her new lover, Michael Z. Mickey Wolfman, a wealthy real estate developer, and asks him uh, to help prevent Mickey's wife and her lover from abducting Mickey and committing him to an insane asylum. So yeah, wait. So her new lover, she tells him about her new lover, Michael Z. 
And, yeah. And and so, but Mickey Wolfman, a wealthy real estate developer, that's who he is, Michael Z. Yes, Michael Z. I uh, think, yeah. Okay. Think so. And he wants, and she's asking him to help prevent Mickey's wife from kidnapping Mickey <laughs> and committing him to an insane asylum. So, yeah. You're right to be confused by this. Wait, so wait, Mickey's wife and her lover. Is she, yes, and her lover. Is she, is, are we saying that Shasta and Mickey's wife are also lovers? No, no, Mickey's wife's lover. Oh, right, right. Yeah, got it. we meet okay. him. Uh, we meet him later. later, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. So, yeah, because that's the bit in this. There's a whole bit of where... He's in an Eric Roberts is in an insane asylum. Eric Roberts plays Mickey Wolfman. He's a fine, amazing older actor. Uh, okay, great. I'm on. I'm on board. <laughs> uh, Doc meets with Tariq Khalil, a member of the Black Gorilla family, who hires him to find Glenn Sharlock, a member of the Aryan Brotherhood. He met in jail, who owes him money and is one of Wolfman's bodyguards. Okay, um, who? Yeah, got it. Die. Who is? What's uh, the black black gorilla family? Oh, American Black Power Prison and Street Gang founded in nineteen sixty six. Okay, cool. So they're they they're a real thing. I thought they were like, I thought this was like a like a Black Panthers thing where they were just not calling them the Black Panthers, but it's a real other thing. Um, Doc visits Mickey's Channel View Estate project and enters the only business in the developing strip mall, a massage parlor, where he meets an employee, Jade. Oh, that's uh, what that is. Okay. I was like, why? I, I never knew why he was here. Yeah. Okay. Wait, yes. So he, yes, that's one of Mickey's, uh, his estates, guess, his projects or something. or something. Okay. That makes sense. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a big confusing for me like why he was why he was ever there. Why did he go there? <laughs> I guess like the problem for me with this I guess what I don't why I don't get sucked into this story is like this guy's just like a private investigator. Right. And he's his motivation is he just gets hired to do something. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like he just got hired to like do his job Mm -hmm. so now he's doing that Mm -hmm. and i you know things get sticky over time and you know hijinks ensues but i mean that's not like the most riveting setup i suppose right i mean i don't know right but this this is kind of interesting so he goes in there he gets hit in the head with a baseball bat but then he wakes up outside Uh next to the dead body surrounded by policemen this is where we meet bigfoot Right. right Yes, yes. Uh, Doc's interrogated by uh, Bigfoot, LAPD detective, uh, and learns that Wolfman has disappeared. He is helped by his attorney, Sancho Smilax, who arranges for his release by the LAPD. I don't think there's. I don't think it's by accident that this this character's played by Benicio del Toro. I think that this is somehow another riff on like the the fear and loathing in las vegas thing where it's like it's like you know hunter s thompson and benicio del toro on a journey together this is like 
Joaquin is the Hunter S. Thompson of this movie, and Benicio's his like little his legal friend. He's like a similar guy. <laughs> yeah, he plays a similar yeah. like type of person in the main character's life, um, like kind of a con artist lawyer type. Uh, Doc is hired by former heroin addict Hope. Her- Harling- Harlingen, who is looking for her missing husband, Koi. She was told that Koi was dead, but believes he is alive due to a large deposit to her bank. Uh, Jade leaves Doc a message apologizing for setting him up with the police and telling him to beware the Golden Fang. So this is the first time we hear of uh, the Golden Fang. Yes. Which is a thing we... Uh, hear about a lot mm-hmm. in a second. Um, so, yeah. So sorry, then I, I guess another piece of confusion is that, I, and I'm sure, I think these two things end up tying together in some way, but at least the way that the movie, I guess, is supposed to present it to you is him going, him getting hired by Hope Harlingen is, is different completely from his initial from the job. Wolf man. Yeah. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so he meets her in an alley where she explains that the Golden Fang is an intentional international drug smuggling operation. There, Jade introduces him to Koi, who sought Doc out to tell him that he is hiding at a house in Topanga Canyon. Uh, in a second meeting, he reveals he is a police informant and fears for his life. Uh, wanting only to return to his wife and daughter. Doc talks to Sancho, who tells him about a suspicious boat called the Golden Fang, and that the last time the ship sailed, Shasta was on board. Uh, Thanks to a postcard from her, Doc finds a large building shaped like a Golden Fang and meets dentist Rudy Blatnoy, (laughs) who is played by Martin Short, I believe. So tell me if you think I'm wrong, but I think this is the best parts of the film yeah yeah i think i think so pretty easily i think martin short's inclusion into the paul thomas anderson universe (laughs) is maybe the coolest most jarring weirdest funniest thing about this movie like martin short's pants falling down it's weird because Martin Short is being a very martin short character but it's really dark in this context yeah I love it. I think this is really good stuff. Um, this might be my favorite whole thing of this movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm into it. Um, you know who else we get for the first time in a PTA movie? Hmm. Maya Rudolph. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we do get Maya Rudolph. Yeah, she plays a very minor role, but it's cool. It's cool that she's in this. So, let's see. Bigfoot calls Doc and tells him that Blatnoid has just been found dead with fang bites in his neck. Uh, Bigfoot decides to help Doc find Koi and tells him to search for Puck uh, Beaverton in Christgylodon, an asylum run by a cult connected to the Golden Fang. Who's Puck Beaverton? Puck Beaverton is. I'm trying to Keith remember. Jardine is the actor who plays him. Oh, he's like the 
the tough guy. Is he's like the tough guy that fight they have they fight at some point. Okay. Right. Um, I think. Puck Beaverton. Okay. There, Doc finds Mickey, who is being watched by the FBI. Uh, Mickey tells uh, Doc he felt guilty for the negativity his real estate business caused and wants to give him his money away. Uh, He appears to be a happy member of the cult. Doc also glimpses Puck and Coy. Mm. Also glimpses Puck and Coy. Okay. When Doc... So he's at an insane asylum at this point, right? An asylum? Uh But it's it's run by there's also a cult connected to it. Yeah. This is not it's, explained very well. In the it movie. is odd. It does seem like uh a hat on a um, hat. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, then that's okay, I mean, but I just don't understand what so like if we were to break this down, it's like people get sent to this asylum where they're then inundated into like a cult and, and, but the cult is connected to the drug running operation. Right. Okay. I think, yeah, I've heard that like, I think I could be wrong about this, but I think I've heard like Scientology has their own like drug rehab facility kind of a thing. Mm. I would liken it to that kind of a situation, I guess, where it's like some type of a, you know, mm-hmm. medical help facility that uh, is just happens to be run by uh, a religion that is, you know, a cult. Yeah, I know. I, <laughs> um, I, yeah, right on. <laughs> uh, let's see. When Doc returns home to his beach house, he is greeted by Shasta, who has returned and is indifferent to the trouble her disappearance has caused. Mm-hmm. Uh, she confesses to having been on the Golden Fang on a three-hour tour and says she was brought along as inherent vice. Uh, she and Doc have sex. Now, so she before... Oh, go, go for it. We learn about what inherent vice is, Jeremy. Um, and it is... Used in law as well as in library and archival science. Uh, Legal definition is an exclusion found in most property insurance policies, eliminating coverage for for loss caused by a quality in property that causes it to damage or destroy itself. I, that... It is hard for me to. Uh, I don't understand. It seems that, like yeah. a simple uh, concept that, for some reason, my I can't wrap my brain around. Yeah, I don't know what that is at all. Yeah. So, huh? Interesting. Far out. Um. Now, the way that this Wikipedia plot is rolled out is like it's almost impossible to compare this to what you're seeing on screen because it's yeah. like it's very not illustrated to you like this but somewhere around this moment here or maybe even slightly before i want to like talk about this 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 scene that i i I can never get out of my head it is my favorite scene of the film and it's it's doc remembering this time that he was that he had with shasta where they were looking to get looking for a fix looking for a heroin fix or whatever or coke or whatever and they run in the rain barefoot to the location and when they get there um there's no one there 
but they kind of just don't care because they were having so much fun, I think, <laughs> like yeah. running there. And they, I think they kiss in the rain or whatever. Uh, it's one of the coolest things uh, on sc- uh, moments in this film. And it's one of my favorite scenes in all of a PTA and all of PTA's work. I don't know. Do you know, do you remember what scene I'm talking about? Of course, yeah. Yeah. This is after they, they do the Ouija board, right? To try and Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah. Yeah. There's some really, really good moments in this in this movie. And I get I get uh, why that's, that's not one of them. like put into this Wikipedia plot. Because I don't think it has a lot to do <laughs> with the plot of the movie. Uh but boy does it do a lot for the vibe of the movie which is yeah. there's a bit of nostalgia. It's sort of about heartbreak too, in a lot of ways, like this relationship between Mickey and Shasta, it's sort of a riff on the classic noir tale of like, you know, the femme fatale comes to the detective and says, Oh, my husband's been murdered. You know, you need to help me find, mm-hmm. or my husband's missing or whatever, you know? Um, this is sort of a riff on that. It's like a, a, a with a '70s slant to it, and I don't know. I, I really like, I really like something in in there about that. Like something something about that I really enjoy, which is like, you know, kind of not making fun of, but like mis like misinterpreting a noir story in a in in a really in a different kind of way, in an updated kind of way, and you know involving drugs and their past and wrapping that all up together and this sort of relationship they have that I very, I very much connect with. I've had relationships like this where it's like your ex and she's maybe dating someone else, but then you guys are kind of hooking up a little bit on the side and it, nothing is very clear. You know, it's all very hazy. You can't really, for sure tell what's going on you're kind of just taking little moments when you can with these people um because everyone at the time feels very lost it's a very specific sort of feeling and i think it's really well captured in here and i kind of wish more of the movie i I just committed to that or like was about that because that i think that's done really well like the joanna newsome stuff in this i think is really good and we don't i don't even think we can describe what she is who she's the narrator of the film but she's also his like you know she's also his like i don't know friend it's like it's like she's a friend of shasta and docs yeah pretty much yeah, like, it, but it never really describes what she, who she is, or why she's narrating the film. Anyways, there's, there's, yeah, again, there's something about that part of this whole movie that I really, I really resonate with, and I really connect with, and it's sort of just like you get these moments of it throughout, but it's not a lot. Um, Penny, an assistant district attorney with whom Doc is having a fling. This is Reese Witherspoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, gives him confidential files from which he learns that the LAPD pays the loan shark Adrian Prusla, Prussia, uh, Prussia, to ki- uh, kill people, and that one of his victims was Bigfoot's former partner. Hmm. Um, Prussia is tied to the Golden Fang, and Doc learns that Sherlock was involved with a deal. 
which is why he was killed. Uh, Doc visits Adrian, noticing his obsession with baseball bats, uh, but is abducted and drugged by his partner, Puck. Uh, He manages to escape, killing both Puck and Adrian. Bigfoot appears and rescues him, uh, driving him home, but Doc discovers he has been set up. Bigfoot has planted heroin in his car. Doc arranges for the drugs to be returned to the Golden Fang in exchange for Koi's freedom. Doc and Shasta drive off together. So yeah, you're right. We kind of just end up back back to where we back to where we started. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, and and it, it, there's a delightful there's a delightful uh, sort of consequence of Owen Wilson and Jenna Malone sort of reuniting and coming back together. And then we, I guess I kind of like Doc and Shasta getting back together. Although I do think Shasta is probably not ru- not in a good place and not really right for Doc. And I kind of like Doc and Penny better. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I don't know. Before we give this film a rating, I would love to hear like what you think this movie is about more than what the plot is. You know. I think this movie is about uh I think this movie is about So I think the book is about um what's it called? Uh it's basically a specific time in a specific era uh in a specific like ch- a specific chunk of time in a specific place. And more specifically, I think it's like kind of about that Manson, post Manson, like paranoia. And like, because there was like, you know, right, they reference it in the movie and in the book and stuff, but there was like right after that, there were a couple of years there where people, especially in Southern California, were like mm-hmm. pretty on edge and things yeah. were really weird. And it was kind of the first, the first uh, moment where people like, be like hippies are like murderers. Like people were thinking that like hippies right. were murderers, and, yeah. and um, so I think it's kind of a riff on that. I don't know if it's like straight up. It seems like it's straight up just like satirizing that or like making fun of that. But ultimately, I just think that this book is about the year nineteen seventies in Hollywood basically Mm. in LA Mm -hmm. um I don't think it's about I I, again I really don't think that it's about like this kind of um Mickey Wolfman story and you know the golden fang I think that's all just around so that we can kind of um get into the sort of situations that sort of highlight this time period and you know this character and 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 kind of almost the this vibe i guess and i think that that's also what the movie is about but i also think the movie is about um i guess it's probably about the same thing i don't know (laughs) (laughs) um i was gonna say i do to me it does feel like the story is more important in the movie like it feels like there's at least more of a um, like you're supposed to care more whereas in the book it just kind of almost the vibe of the book is like 
well, this stuff is going on, but you really all you care about is reading like Pinchon's. Uh, that's the other thing that this movie is missing is you really like Pinchon. His writing is really entertaining, and it's like, how do you capture that on a movie? You know what I mean? How yeah. do you capture the way someone uses words to describe things in a film? And it's it's hard to do. And, um, but yeah, I think ultimately that's what both the film and the movie are about. I don't know. What what do you think this whole this movie's about? I think you're absolutely right, except maybe something more in there about. A rela- like like a relationship like uh right. like love or some sort of like specific kind of relationship in the midst of you know in the midst in the midst of vi- like being completely given over to your own vices it's it's like a you know a movie like Jesus son or even requiem for a dream how like we develop these relationships, even though our our first love is really our vi, our, our like our initial vice, like drugs, right? Like, like they care more about sex and drugs than they really do care about each other. But in a way, it's sort of about like maintaining a relationship through that, or like your like love, sort of shining through the fog of being super high and being a hippie and being wrapped up in this whole murder plot and kidnapping scheme. It's it's sort of about how the way the world maybe and people come in between uh, young love or, or people who are in love, you know? Um, I think it's really funny that like at the core, at the emotional core of this movie, there is this relationship between Doc and Shasta that at every moment they're, com- they're, they're interrupted by either other people or, or their proclivity to getting high or like a literal uh, international cult. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's like just w- really overwhelming. Um, and you know, that's I don't know that 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 feels true. I you know to the specific experiences I've had in in a in a in a, a time gone by like. You know, I'm very, I'm, I live a much more responsible vanilla life than I used to and than I did when I was in my 20s, right? Like, I, I have a job and I, I'll have a few beers on the weekends and, you know, I, I save my money. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm not quite the person I was in my 20s who was very erratic, you know, do, couldn't really hold down a job, uh, you know, was wrapped up in all kinds of bizarre, bizarre shit. And at the same time, still trying to maintain a relationship through that. So I think it's, it reminds me of that. It reminds me of that time. Um, and, uh, and I, th- so I think part of inherent vice anyway, is that, and then I do think a ton of it is exactly like sort of just like, here's what it was like to live in the post Manson era, you know, <laughs> Like the 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 Satan the Satanists are taking over Los Angeles era mm. of our of our of American history, you know. Um, yeah. So, what do you give it? I will give inherent vice. You know what? I'm looking back at my other PTA scores. I gave Hard Eight a two point seven five. I do like this movie better than Hard Eight. Yeah. Um, but I don't think I. 
would give it more than a three. So I'm giving it a three out of four. What about you? I'm going to also give it a three out of four, uh, which is exactly my Heart 8 score. I think I like it as much as Heart 8. I think I like it exactly as much as Heart 8. It's weird because I also like it as much as Moonrise Kingdom, which I gave a 2.75 to, but I like <laughs> Moonrise Kingdom a little less than Heart 8. So maybe yeah. I'm not sure <laughs> what I'm talking about. But uh, in Hair Advice, I'm going to give a three Chucky Freckles out of four. Um, you know, it's not, it's definitely, it's not a bad movie at all. In fact, I would venture to say it's a good movie. It's better than most of the Paul W.S. Anderson movies on this list. It's, it's just, it's just not like, I don't, I can't tell if I definitively think that this movie misses the mark or if I just think like, it's just not for me, but it's one of those two. (laughs) I think it's interesting and I think it's really entertaining and I I definitely I like it. I do like this movie a lot. I'll watch this movie again. Um I don't know. I was thinking about this. Uh I recently reread uh uh To Kill a Mockingbird mm. and I was listening to a podcast. It was like I think it was a slate podcast or something. I was like, I wanna listen to some like you know I want to listen to like an intellectual conversation about To Kill a Mockingbird. So I threw on the Slate podcast and there's these three eggheads talking about, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird. And uh, one person was like ripping into like the way it was written and structured. And I'm like, what? (laughs) What do you do? Like you're tearing into To Kill a Mockingbird. (laughs) Like, what is happening? And it kind of made me feel a little bit self-aware about um, what I do sometimes on this podcast, because I do, like, I have a lot of opinions about things, mm-hmm. and I just want to I just want to say, I, you know, I think everything, like, deserves to exist, and I think most yeah. things oh, are yeah. great. I just, it, it's really fun to, like, have a platform to, like, say that you don't like something like i really enjoy being able to tell people that i don't like the movie event horizon (laughs) it doesn't mean it's a bad movie i i agree eric and maybe our fans of our show please reach out to us if you if you think on how what kind of a job you think we do at like being kind of fans of stuff and having opinions about stuff without also sounding like like i feel like sometimes when we don't like stuff or when when i've listened to other shows where they don't like stuff it's almost like they're saying you're not allowed to like it either or you're an idiot yeah. for liking it and i i never think that <laughs> if you like I think, if, yeah, yeah 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 i think we're we're usually pretty uh you know i i i try to you know make it pretty clear that i'm just voicing my opinion but you know um yeah if you have any if you have any critiques Leave an iTunes review. Mm-hmm. We we would love to five have five stars of those. though, no matter what you think. Yeah. <laughs> Even if it's negative. Yeah. Uh you know, and if you really, really don't like us, sign up for that Patreon. Patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. Five bucks a month. Um, you will inconvenience us on a monthly basis by giving us more money to have to deal with. And what could be worse than that, Jeremy? Mm, mm-hmm. Nothing. <laughs> Literally nothing. <laughs> Uh, Jeremy, anything you want to plug before we sign off? Nah, just follow me on Twitter at Ocarina of Crime. Norma, I'll see you in my dreams. Mm-hmm.